Today we will be reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 16 to 25. Chapter 8, verse 16 to 25, Romans. Okay. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings that will be revealed in us I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Let me pray uh, for Andis as he comes up to preach, and uh, let me pray for us that uh, we may have ears to hear. Father God, you are a God who cares deeply and intimately for each one of us here today. You know our lives, our hearts, minds, and our words before they've even left our tongues, and can see our true motivations in life. Still the busyness of our thoughts, and help us to concentrate and see the hope that you freely offer to us, your beauty and your majesty. Help Anders to preach clearly and faithfully, and may we find our hope in Jesus and in who he is, and in whose precious name we pray. Amen. As a part of my uh, Bible training back, um, back in the days, I was encouraged to reach out to Latvians in London. Um, there were at least a couple of guys I knew from the church in Latvia. So I reached um, uh, out to encourage them in their Christian walk. Uh, one of them responded, and so we met. But very soon in our conversation, I discovered that it is I who need encouragement in my Christian life. Uh, being married in, um, been married um, only for two years um, and new to London, Madder and I, you know, we were struggling with all sorts of things, obviously. Um, but according to my Latvian friend in London, if you are a spirit-filled child of God, you are supposed to walk in victory all the time. Well, it turns out my friend was part of a famous megachurch, and this was the tune they were singing from all the hills, a subtle hint. Uh, you know, and here is what they say. The mark of the children of God is that they reign. They reign over sin and suffering in this world 
Well, to back up his claim, my friend quoted to me our verses, verses 16 and 17. Well, glance at verse 16 with me. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We not, uh, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And now, my friend was clever, and so he pointed me to the present tense in verse 17. We already are co-heirs with the risen Christ. And this should be clearly seen in our lives here and now, he concluded. Christians are supposed to excel in everything they do, reign visibly. Now, uh, of course, I wanted, I wanted to see it for myself, so I visited his church, and that is indeed what I heard. If you are a student, you must be at the top of your class and pass every exam with excellence. If you are in finance, in insurance, or in banking, you must excel among your work colleagues in the office. If you are an architect, musician, uh, etc., you must come up with the best building project or music project in the city. Well, of course, I'm not sure I heard even janitor being mentioned with the cleanest toilets on the block. That I kind of didn't hear. Now, to sum up, to sum up, my friend, the mark of God's children is that they are seen to be victorious in this world because they are co-heirs with the risen Christ. Now, what do you think about that when you hear that? How does that statement make you feel? Well, maybe you are someone who is just visiting with us and, and looking into Christian faith. Uh, and this is something maybe that you have been told by, by someone that Christians should expect from their life here. If you are a Christian, does it boost your confidence as a child of God? Now, the Apostle Paul writes to Christians in Rome, and we can say in Riga, because he wants us to be confident Christians. He wants us to be confident about the gospel. Do you remember in chapter 3, God making righteous people, unrighteous people, sorry, righteous through faith in the atoning death of Christ. Paul wants us to be confident about the, our standing before God, do you remember chapter 5? Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul wants us to be confident about his mission to the nations. In chapter 1, we saw, I am obliged, Paul says, both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, to you who are in Riga. But how can we be confident about these things if we continue to sin, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, and if we continue to suffer 
as we will see today. Is it not rather a mark of us not really being spirit-filled Christians? Well, that is what Satan would want us to think. Well, someone, someone has said, take the text out of its context and you are left with con. Satan is the ultimate con master, deceiver. That is why taking the text out of its context is actually satanic. Well, the Apostle Paul, however, he's working really hard to boost our confidence. He wants us to be certain about being you know, God's children, even as we sin, even as we suffer. And he does that by making us look at the context. So may I just point you to a verse from last week before we go on. Check out chapter 8, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, given Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Christian, remember your body is a body of sin and death, and you still live in it. That means you will continue to sin and suffer in this life. But the life in this body is not the only life there is. The spirit that is in you gives you life. It is a renewed desire to love Jesus and long to obey God. And it is a promised life in eternity. Indeed, the very same Spirit reassures you daily that you are a beloved child of God in waiting for your glorious, glorious future. But the mark of this reality is suffering now and glory later. Well, this is why my Latvian friend in London didn't finish verse 17. Would you glance with me how... Paul finishes verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. And so here is the, the, the main point really for today. The mark of a Christian is the experience of painful but patient waiting for his glorious resurrection body. Well, but do not just take me um, at my word. Let's together take God um, for his word. So here is how I think our passage works. Verse 17, the mark or the, that characterizes God's children is indeed suffering now. Glory later. Now, firstly, the sign, the first sign that that's true is that we look at the creation, creation in waiting for the children of God that we'll see from 19 to 22. And the second sign is from verse 23 to 25, and the second sign are we ourselves. We ourselves um, are in waiting for our glorious future. 
we'll, we'll take in turn those, those things. Normal, normal Christian experience is indeed suffering now. I mean, it should, not be, it should not be controversial, right? It requires a particular set of skills, I think, to look around the world, read the news, and yet, yet conclude that we live in a perfectly fine world, that everything is all right with this world. Now, we know even from Romans, right, that there are three types of suffering that we face. We all face here. Suffering because we live in this body. Now, we experience natural calamities, disasters, drought, poverty. Then there is suffering because we live in this body. And we, will, we look around, we see killings, car crashes, craving for more things, better things that just plunges people in ruin. And then there is suffering because we belong to Jesus. Thankfully, no one is burning down our houses here or killing us because we talk about Jesus. But we're sure we, we get laughed at sometimes. We get ridiculed, marginalized, or perhaps even cancelled because we talk about Jesus. Or particularly the last one, suffering for Jesus, Paul says, is part of normal Christian experience. Not only is it normal, but Paul says it is, isn't worth even comparing with the future glory. Look at verse 18. For I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, if I would, if I would just say that, I would be skeptical. But Paul says that, and we know his experience. Let me just summarize it, I think, from 2 Corinthians. Paul is saying this. As someone who's been shipwrecked, floating in the open sea and rivers, in danger from bandits and his fellow Jews, as well as from the Gentiles and false believers, Paul is saying this as someone who's been in prison, beaten with rods, buried in stones, and exposed to death in many other ways. And Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Just think about that for a moment. Imagine, imagine a suffering Christian somewhere who longs for that day when he or she will be visibly glorified in their resurrection bodies in the new creation. A Christian in a wheelchair falling on his knees before Jesus. A Christian with a mutilated hand hugging Jesus in the new creation. A Christian whose family is perhaps murdered reunited with his loved or her loved ones in an unspeakable joy. Yes, Paul says, even the most horrific present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed 
in our resurrection bodies. Friends, turns out our reign with Jesus in this world is suspiciously similar to Jesus' reign in his earthly life. Suffering now, glory later. I'm, I'm always grateful for those times when I get to meet, um, you know, my long-term Christian friends. Uh, we do this kind of once in three months, a good kind of two, three hours sit down. I've been telling you about this probably previously. And every time we meet, we talk about, we talk extensively about life. We talk about hardships. We talk about how to remain sane in this life. And every time... I want to talk about Jesus and the resurrection. Because you simply can't make sense of this life if this life is the only life there is. But I also see in the eyes of my friend this look. This look that says, I wish this would be true. Or great that this kind of wishful thinking works for you. Well, is suffering now and glory later a kind of a Christian crutch? You know, like my son has two crutches. Is he kind of is that is that kind of what basically Christian faith is going on a crutch through this life? Turns out the glorious destiny of the suffering God's children is seen, is evidently seen in the creation's waiting. Well, that's what we see from verses 19, don't we? The mark of God's children, that we really are children, is seen in creation that's waiting for the sons of God. Glance at verse 19, 4, Paul says, The creation waits in eager expectation, for the children of God to be revealed. Now, what Paul says here is that the whole of creation is staring at Christians as it waits for their resurrection from the dead. Now, I never thought about this in in this way before, but as I was preparing the sermon, it kind of I don't, it kind of dawned on me, why do I never feel alone when I go out in the woods or by the sea, you know, to be refreshed or to be recharged? Why is that? Well, because the trees, bushes, river and the mighty sea is staring at me. They are staring at me. The creation eagerly waits for the glorious day of my resurrection. Well, of course, any illustration or example kind of falls short because what happens when you meet a bear in the woods? Kind of, you definitely end up in glory sooner rather than later, probably. Kind of, it falls short. The bear stares, but then he finishes his job. Well, this creation is not perfect. This creation is not perfect, and we know that. In fact, Paul reveals from verse 20, why does the creation wait? in eager expectation for that day. Why is that the case? Well, it is because the creation lives under God's curse. 
verse 24, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, a few verses, right? But Paul basically says here the following. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, God subjected the whole creation to decay and to destruction. Now, alongside the curse, God promised that Eve's offspring is going to crush Satan's power in verse 15 of chapter 3. And the relationships between God and people will be restored. So, the whole creation hopes in the very same promise and longs to be restored together with God's people. Until that day, Paul says the creation, the trees, the sea, the rivers, the birds, the animals are groaning, groaning in the pain of childbirth. Now, when I was, talk, uh, when I was writing this talk, I thought, right, well, that's a perfect, perfect moment to kind of break slightly in a talk and maybe do some interactive sketch of the groaning creation, you know, uh, how, how um, maybe sea or mountains and cows or turtles are groaning. But then I thought, right, of course, it might be fun, but you will definitely take away from the seriousness of the matter. So I opted out for a different alternative. Um, instead, I chose Michael Jackson's Earth Song. No, we're not going to play it. Well, and someone will say, seriously, is that what you did? And others might think, it surely passed, it borders on blasphemy. Does anyone know what Michael Jackson's Earth Song is, roughly? No. When you go back to home, you can Google in, in YouTube, Michael Jackson, Earth Song. Uh, but I will summarize it in, in my words here, right? Because I think it can actually be helpfully used um, in our gospel discussions regarding the subject. So, the Earth Song, um, uh, when we open up the video, it's, it's a short film feature. You know, uh, it's, it's a stark footage of Michael Jackson and native people around the world witnessing acts of natural devastation. Um, burned out forests, dead animals of the African savanna, and war-torn neighborhoods are shown as Michael and other citizens of the world drop to their knees and they grab you know, the sand uh, beneath them. And the lyrics, the, the, real, the lyrics of the song, they are pretty emotionally loaded. Uh, for example, deep... Um, and often the controversy of the song, if you want to know, is that Michael Jackson appears to be blaming God, God um, for indifference about this creation. So here is an example. Did you ever stop to notice? And then, you know, a number, a list of things. What about killing fields, all the children dead from war, etc., etc.? So the controversy is there, of course, it is there. But so is the right instinct. 
Because the creation is portrayed indeed as groaning. The weeping shores, the falling down heavens, the crying whales, pleading forests that are destroyed by the greed of men. It's all, it, the instinct is right. What have we done to the world? Look what we've done, he sings. In so many ways, the instinct is right. It kind of resonates with me emotionally. Men have contributed and keep contributing to the groaning of creation. Mismanaging and abusing the creation has horrible consequences, indeed. We do bear some collective responsibility about where we are currently in terms of our environment. I guess one of the most striking twists in the music video is towards the end, because what happens suddenly, suddenly the earth shakes and violent wind blows as Michael sings the final verse of the song, and the planet is magically restored. Slaughtered elephants rise from the dead, trees get reattached to their um, stumps, and so on. Well, how can, I be, how can I turn this into a gospel conversation? Well, friends, we can actually sympathize with the groaning creation in, in Michael's representation. We even could be blamed for mis, you know, mismanaging the creation. But the creation's groaning is not primarily because of what humans do. And that is why humans can't do anything to ultimately save the Mother Earth. That's why I think the conversation gets really helpful. That, of course, doesn't mean we shouldn't care for the creation. Of course not. The groaning of creation is because of its bondage to corruption, you see. And that is essentially because people, by nature, suppress the truth about God. It's who they are, enslaved to sin. And that is why the goal of the creation's groaning is not simply getting magically restored. No. The goal of Creation's groaning is verse 21. To obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The goal of the creation is Christian's resurrection, Paul says. How will the creation know that the day of its liberation and restoration has come? How will the creation know it? The creation stares at Christian's being revealed in their glorious, incorruptible resurrection bodies. That, Paul says, is the mark of children of God. We look at the creation as it groans and is staring at us when we will appear in glory. But secondly, what makes children of God, what marks, sorry, children of God, is the sign is that we ourselves are the sons of God in waiting. Well, look, look with me to verse 23. Not only so, Paul says, 
but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, do you see how Paul draws a completely different conclusion from the truth that we are co-heirs with Christ? If the risen Jesus is victorious, we too should be victorious and reigning here and now. Do you see how Paul draws a completely different conclusion? Why? Well, because before we actually reign with Jesus in glory, we are supposed to share in his suffering. Now, all people on earth suffer. All people groan or sigh. We all suffer in many, many various ways. Depending on which part of the world we live, right? Some suffer from heat. Some suffer from cold. Some suffer from drought. Others suffer from floods. Some suffer from the shortage of food. Others from the shortage of screen time limit. Can you imagine? That's a suffering. First world problems, right? In other words, we all are in this together to to an extent. But how is Christian groaning different? Christian groaning, friends, is waiting in hope. Waiting in hope is a distinct mark of how Christians sigh. You see, God not only declared us right with him, but is making us right by the first fruits of the Spirit. Verse 23, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we are God's children, even as we inwardly groan and wait eagerly for our promised resurrection bodies. Now, how do we know this is going to be the case? Again, how do we know this all is not just like Paul's wishful thinking? Think about this. What do you do as you groan inwardly? What what do you do? Where do you go in your mind? Let me suggest it's chapter 8, verse 15. You cry, Abba, Father. You say, Abba, Father, dear loving Father in heaven, please help me. Help me in my situation. Now, how do you, how do you know that this cry helps you and will help you get through to glory? How do you know that? Well, because it got through Jesus to glory. When did Jesus cry to God, Abba, Father? Anyone? When did that happen? When did he do that? Yeah, and before? 
in the garden. Yes, thanks, in the most unbearable, most excruciating sufferings in the garden of Gethsemane. But friends, it is not the example of Jesus' prayer that gets us to glory, that gives us hope. It is the work of Jesus that he accomplished on our behalf on the cross. Yes, Jesus called upon God, Abba Father. As he did this, he submitted himself to most horrible suffering. But what was it? Jesus gladly took the cup of wrath from his loving Father and he drank it on our behalf. You see, the mark of Jesus, the Son of God, was his suffering in waiting for his glorious resurrection. I'm always amazed. I'm amazed how the Spirit always brings us back to Jesus' work of perfect obedience to his Father's will. That's Spirit's job, isn't it? Even more, the Spirit reassures us of our glorious future because we belong to Jesus, our brother, co-heirs with Christ. So friends, what is the mark of God's children? What is the mark that we are his beloved children? It's suffering now, glory later. We will suffer in this life because we live in this broken world, because we live in this broken body, because we belong to Jesus. But how do we know that suffering in our lives will lead to glory? How? Well, we look at the groaning creation, the creation in waiting for the day of our resurrection. And we look at our spirit prompt. Jesus-like inward groaning, as we call Abba Father, eagerly waiting, patiently waiting for our resurrection bodies. Well, let me close by pointing us back again to verse 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Let me briefly pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for wanting to reassure us as being your beloved children. Thank you for sending spirit in our hearts that testifies to our spirit that you love us even as we sin, even as we go through sufferings or maybe our beloved ones are going through sufferings. Thank you for reminding us that the whole creation is heading towards uh, that moment when we are going to be glorified in our new resurrection bodies, even as the whole creation is groaning in pain. And thank you that we ourselves are patiently and eagerly waiting for our resurrection day as we suffer, as we call upon you, our Father.
Please help us patiently endure, being faithful to you, keeping serving and loving you, and waiting for that glorious day when you will fulfill all your promises in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.